Would you stand with me? Let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we're continually amazed at the things that you continue to do day in and day out in us. Lord, it's your heart that we come to you, that we let go of the things that we think are our security and that we allow you to mold us into the men and the women that you created us to be. God, if we just open our eyes and our ears every single day, you're doing the miraculous around us. God, help us not to become blinded and deaf to what you're doing. I ask this morning, Lord, that you open our ears and our eyes to see not just you, but to see where we're at with you. That, God, you would be glorified. You would be lifted up. And that, God, our hearts would be made right. We give you all the praise and all the glory. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we're continuing in the story. And if you've been reading along with us, this is one of those weeks where you're just like, okay, good, let's get through this. <laughs> Last week, we ta- get to talk and we hear about Ruth, a great story. Next week, we get to hear about David, man after God's own heart. Today, we're going to look at a man And a story that's not very pleasant, not very fun, but very, very meaningful and a good reminder to us all. There's actually three stories in the chapter 10 of the story. The first one deals with Hannah. Hannah was a woman who could not have kids, and she is pleading before God to have a son. And she makes a commitment to him and says, if you... Give me a son, I will dedicate him to you to work for you all the days of his life. God hears her prayer and he answers her prayer. And the second story of chapter 10 is about Samuel. The birth of Samuel, the life of Samuel. But it's the third story that we're going to focus on this morning and that is the life of Saul. The first king of Israel who fell hard because of pride. So the title this morning is Standing Tall and falling hard. It begins with the people of Israel wanting a king. Up until this point, they had overseers. They had people who just led them. It was Moses. And then there was Joshua. Both of them were gone, and Samuel is the priest. He is the, he's the prophet of their day, but he is not a king. He's their spiritual leader. And so the people are crying out, we, we want a king. We want someone who will lead us. We want someone like all of our neighboring people that will lead us, who will take us into battle, who will protect us. Philistines are their sworn enemies. They're continually fighting with them, but they have no one who will lead them except for the fact that God has always led them. But they've forgotten again. Right? God has done all these things and he's done this incredible stuff using simple men and yet they're not satisfied with that anymore and they've forgotten again and they've turned their back on God and now they want a king like everyone else. So they confront Saul. Our first scripture is 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. 
They say to Saul, All the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old. (laughs) Thank you very much. And your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. They wanted to be like everybody else. They just wanted to be like everyone else. Give us a king who will lead us, who will make all these decrees, who will lead us into battle, who will give us victory, someone that we can follow. You, Samuel, are an old man. And your sons are not following in your footsteps. It was true, Samuel was old. It was true they were worried about their future. There, was, there wasn't a prophet coming up behind Samuel. So they were trying to cover themselves. They wanted help. They wanted to be like everyone else. And Samuel tries to warn them and to tell them what a king will require of them. He's going to take a tenth of everything. He's going to take a tenth of your crops. He's going to take a tenth of your livestock. He's going to take from you. He's going to take your, your boys and he's going to make them into military soldiers. He's going to take your girls and he's going to use them in the palace. He's going to uh, use them to be his bakers and to do all these other things. He's going to take your slaves and he's going to make them his slaves. And then Samuel says, and when you cry out to God, he won't hear you. In verse 19 of chapter 8, it says, But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard this, what the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered him and said, Listen to them and give them a king. How often do we hear or see around us every single day? We have to be like them. We try to be like them. We try to have what they have. The world that we live in tries to conform us to be like each other, not to be different, to be the same. The Israelites want to be just like all the other nations around them. And God says to Samuel, they haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. And so give them what they're asking for. Give them what they want. And so Samuel is chosen to anoint a king over all of Israel. And so begins the life of Saul. The story starts off in 1 Samuel chapter 9. There's three things that we're going to notice about Saul. He's tall and he's timid. The Bible says that there's a man named Kish who had a son named Saul. As handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than everyone else. The first thing that we learn about Saul and about his appearance is that he's tall, dark, and handsome. He's perfect for a king. He's taller than everyone else. He looks better than everyone else. This is the king. He's approached by Samuel. Actually, if you read through the story, Saul's actually looking for donkeys that got away from his dad's farm. They've been looking for days. They're about to give up. But the servant that's with Saul says, hey, let's go see the seer, the prophet, and ask him. And so they do. The day before, Saul is told by God that a man is coming to see you this time tomorrow. 
he's the one I want you to anoint as king over Israel. And it happens just like that. Saul comes up to the seer, the prophet, and says, and before he can say anything, Samuel says, are you not the one the Lord has chosen? The first response from Samuel is this, verse 21. But am I not a Benjamite? I'm from the smallest tribe of Israel and is not my clan the least of the clans of the tribe of Benjamin. He tells Samuel, wait a minute, what, what are you even saying? You, you know I'm a Benjamite, right? I am the least of the least and my family is the least of the least. And it begins to sound like the story of Gideon, right? He just begins to say, look, I, I'm nobody. In fact, I'm nobody's nobody. I'm just, I'm low. I'm not the, per- why would you even say this to me? I have nothing to do with, with this. He resisted. He was tall. He was timid. He felt unqualified. He was actually humble. I'm not the, I'm not the one. I'm not the one that you're looking for. Some things happen and, and transpire in between there. And Samuel tells Saul to send your servant on ahead And he begins to talk with Saul. But the first thing that he does is he pours oil over his head and he anoints him as king. Chapter 10, verse 1. Samuel takes the flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and he kissed him saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? God chose Saul to be king. He picked him. He anointed him, made him ruler. Tells him to go and find these, these men. They're going to be worshiping. They're going to be prophesying. Go and find them and join them. And verse 6 says, The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy to them, with them. And you will be changed into a different person. <clears throat> go find them, and then you will be changed. And you'll begin, he began to prophesy. And then Samuel says, I want you to go down ahead of me to Gilgal, and I, want, I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed his heart, and all of these signs were fulfilled that day. God changed Saul's heart in an instant, in a moment. A love that God can do that in just a second. We have a statement that we like to say around here is it's the one-step program. That God will just change your heart. Proverbs 21.1 says that God controls the heart of the king. He can change the heart of a leader. That's why it's so important for us to pray for our president and for our leaders. Because his heart is in the Lord's hand. And we need to pray. Samuel goes 
to all of Israel and says, bring everyone to me by their tribe and in their tribe, their clans. And they begin this thing. They call it drawing lots. Like he already knows who the king is, but he, he's got to go through the process, right? So they draw lots and, the, and Benjamin, the Benjamites are picked. And they go through the process and it's Kish's family and in Kish's family, it's Saul, but Saul is nowhere to be found. And so they inquire of the Lord in verse 22 of chapter 10, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said to them, yes, he's hidden himself among the supplies. He's in the kitchen. He's in the cupboard, hiding. He doesn't feel qualified. He doesn't want to be the person that's up front. He doesn't want to be the king. He doesn't feel like there's been, he feels like there's been a huge mistake. Something's going on and he's hiding. He's fearful, he's nervous, he's scared. He's timid. But God changed him in an instant. Now, just like any other time when you choose someone to be a king or president or whatever, there's always going to be a group of people who are like, not my king. Um, uh, nope, who's Saul? Uh, I'm not following him. What, what can he do? What is he, what is he all about? He's not, he's not my king. And they just had this little, you know, they were having their little parades and all their stuff. But the rest of the people are excited. He's been anointed as king. He's the one that's going to lead them. And so far, so good. Samuel says that they're going to assemble together. They're going to be together. They're going to worship together. They're going to meet with God. And they're going to get the heart of God. And they're going to start this thing off right. And they're going to see, where is God leading us? What is he telling us to do? What's going to happen? And then Samuel says, whatever, until that time, those seven days, Whatever is in your heart, do. It's from the Lord. So Saul goes from tall and timid to becoming strong and mighty. Everybody goes back home. They go back into their tribes, they go back to their clans, they go back to their families, including Saul. But something happens, and in the, the chapter 11, it says that Nahash, the Ammonite, they went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead and all the men of Jabesh said to him, make a treaty with us and we will be subject to you. But Naash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on one condition, that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all of Israel. So Nahash just surrounds Jabesh Gilead. They're conquered. They're defeated. There's nothing that they can do. And they, they come with this idea, hey, just make us your slaves. Just tell us what you want us to do, and we'll do it. Make a treaty. Don't kill us. And Nahash says, I'll do that on one occasion. I will remove, I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you. No. You've got to remember, this is, this is our barbaric times, right? This is just, we don't understand the severity of what war was like and the things that they did and why they did it. We just know it's there. It's just brutal. And for some reason, Jabesh Gilead says, hey, give us seven days. See if we can find somebody to help us out. And for some reason, Nahash says, okay. We don't understand it, but it happens. And so the cry goes out. This is what's going to happen to us. This is what the Ammonites are going to do to us. And it reaches Saul's ears. And look what happens in 1 Samuel eleven six. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him. 
and he burned with anger. All of a sudden, Saul's just minding his own business, doing whatever. He's been anointed king, but he's just back home doing whatever he's doing. And he hears the news, and it says the Spirit of God came mightily upon him, and he began to burn with anger. And in that, all of a sudden, he rises up, and he begins to make a plan. Here's what's going to happen. He took a pair of oxen, and he cut them into pieces, and he sent the pieces by messenger throughout Israel. I told you, it's brutal. It's barbaric. And he said, this is what's going to happen. This will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. I want you to see this again. The Spirit of God comes upon him, and he says this. This will happen to your livestock if you don't follow Saul and the man of God. If you don't follow this, this is a God thing. If you don't follow Saul and you don't follow Samuel. It says the next day, it says then terror fell of the Lord, fell on all the people, and they came out together as one. And the next day, Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites, and they slaughtered them until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. In one day, Saul summoned 330,000 men together divided them up and conquered the Ammonites. He became confident. He became competent. He rose up to leadership and he was king. And he just showed it. He was powerful and mighty. In one instant, all of a sudden, the spirit of God raises up inside of him and he becomes this competent, strong, mighty, powerful king who could lead 300,000 people into battle and be victorious. Hebrews are excited. They got exactly what they wanted. They got a king who would lead them into battle, who would, who would bring victory, who would give them stability, who would, who would just be their leader. And it proved to be successful. And they're excited. They're celebrating. There's jumping and dancing and all this stuff that's going on. And they're so excited that they remember the protesters. The people who said, not my king. Now they're, they're so excited, they're like, bring those guys out here. We want to kill them. Yeah, you don't want to follow our king? Let's go. And so they want to kill him. And listen to what Samuel, or Saul says in verse 13. But Saul said, no one will be put to death today. For this day, the Lord put them to death. Saul knew. This wasn't me. He knew what happened inside him wasn't because of him. He wasn't strong and mighty. He knew that the power of God had come in and the power of God had done this. He knew this wasn't anything that I did. This was the Lord who rescued Israel. This was the Lord who had set them apart. So they have peace. They have a king. They feel good, but it's only short-lived. The Philistines start the attack. They hear about it. They start an attack. Saul, has, Saul sends everybody back home with 3,000 men. He sends 1,000 with his son Jonathan and 2,000 with him. And Jonathan goes up and he defeats the Philistines. And word gets back to the Philistines and they just start spreading the word. They're going to come full force on Israel. But they have peace for a moment. Samuel reminds him again and says, let's go to Gilgal and make Saul king 
in the presence of the Lord. Let's go and let's do this right. Let's go and worship. Let's go seek the Lord. Let's find out what he wants us to do. Saul goes to Gilgal. The Philistines show up. Saul has 3,000 men. The Philistines show up with 3,000 chariots, two men in each chariot. And then it says, and soldiers that are as many as the sands on the seashore. And they're surrounding him. And then it says, 1 Samuel 13, the army hides in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and in cisterns. And fear begins to overtake them. Fear comes in and they begin to look at Saul. What are you going to do? Help. All right, you're the king. What's next? And, and he sees the fear of the men. He sees them running and hiding. They, he, they're actually leaving as well. And all of a sudden, Saul, who is powerful and mighty, becomes afraid and begins to see the circumstances around him and that he has to do something, that he's the king, that he has to step in and do something. And so we go to 1 Samuel 13, 9, and it says, So Saul said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings, and just, he had fin- just as he had finished making the offerings, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. Saul had told him, Samuel told him from the very beginning, go to Gilgal, wait seven days, and we will, we will inquire of the Lord. We'll find out what we're to do. But Saul says, bring to me the burnt offering. It continues on, and Samuel says, what have you done? Saul replied, and I want you to notice how many times he says, I and me. When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor, favor so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offerings. All of a sudden, Saul, powerful and mighty, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, got afraid and looked at his surroundings. Instead of walking by faith, he began to walk by sight, and he said, I must do something. Samuel says, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Wow. One act. And the man of God who anointed the first king, God himself picked him, and in one instant, he lost all of Israel. He said, your kingdom would have been established for all time. Saul was to wait seven days until Samuel showed up. I, have, I don't know what the significance of seven days. To be honest with you, I didn't study that intent. I, I have no idea. Maybe it was to teach him patience. Maybe it was just to teach him to, to wait on God, to go through the process and trust it, to depend on God. What we do find out when he didn't wait is that we see his weakness. He's afraid. Slips back to his timidity, fear. 
And he begins to look at the surroundings and he begins to trust in himself and the things that he can do. Self-reliance, impatience. We see that he didn't want to work with Samuel or on his time or God's time. And so he took control of the situation himself. Samuel continues to say, you've done a foolish thing. Why is it so foolish? Well, one, Levites did the sacrificing, not Benjamites. Benjamites were just gypsies. They were small clan, freeloaders. The priests were set aside to do the sacrifice, the Levites. He wasn't a priest or a Levite. He was a Benjamite. But worse than that, it was in direct disobedience to God's direction. Samuel gave him direction from God. Go and do this. This is, what, this is where we're going to go. We're going to meet together as a nation. We're going to seek out God. We're going to worship together. They're going to have a Tuesday night prayer meeting is what they're going to do. And they're going to seek God. They're going to find out how this is all going to take place. He's the king. We're going to anoint him king. We're going to seek God. We're going to worship together. And he disobeys and he does things his way instead. I must do this. And Samuel says, you've done a foolish thing. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Chosen by God. But he rejected the process. And God rejected him. Now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Samuel leaves Saul and comes back and he says to him, go and destroy all of the Amalekites. Destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to the death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Again, brutality. This is brutal. And this is the Lord telling Samuel to tell Saul, this is what I want you to do. Another command. Here's what you need to do. There's a reason why God does what he does all the time. We don't see it. It doesn't make sense. I mean, we look at this and go, you got to be kidding me. What do, what do babies have to do with all of this? Why cattle and sheep? Why all of that? There's, God always has a reason. There's always a plan. If you look back on, in Exodus, uh, maybe I don't have it in my notes. Yes, I do. Exodus 17, I don't think I have it up here. Talking about the Amalekites, it says, they have dared to raise their fist against the Lord's throne, so now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. From the from almost the very beginning, the Amalekites have, have joined forces with the devil. Basically, they are Satan worshipers. They are against Israel, God's people. All the way through, for generation after generation after generation, they've been at odds. They want to destroy Israel. They want to destroy the lineage of Jesus. They want to take him out. And God says to Saul, I want you to end this once and for all. I want this finished. I want you to go. I want you to put them to death. Men, women, children, infants, everything. Destroy it. So they're no more. And, and then it says, 1 Samuel 15, 20. He took King Agag of the Amalekites alive. 
and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs and everything that was good. Do you see what's happening here to Saul? He disobeys, not once, but continues to do it. I believe, man, he could have, he could have repented. He could have got right with God. He could have made things right and, and just done what was asked of him. And God would have used him so much more. But not only is he disobedient, he's dishonest. It goes from bad to worse. He disregards another direct order from God. And then he says, while this is all taking place, he goes and he builds a monument to himself. It says, the Bible says he goes to Mount Car- he goes to Carmel and he builds a monument to himself. And Samuel comes to meet him. And Saul runs out to him and says, I have done everything that God told us to do. I, com- I accomplished God's plan to the letter. This is what he says. He outright lies to the man of God. And Samuel says, so what's this I'm hearing? The bleeding of sheep, the mooing of cattle. Disobedience. Dishonesty. It's not just lying to Samuel. He is lying to God. Disobeying God. And he doesn't even have a care. In the meantime, he's just going to build a monument to himself. I have in my notes, he was tall and handsome, but not very smart. And Samuel says in verse 17 of chapter 15, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? When you were timid, didn't God give all this to you? When you were nobody, wasn't all this given to you and yours? But now you've come, to, you've become too big, too busy to worship, too big to obey. Too busy to worship. Too big to obey. Samuel reminds Saul, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor of yours who is better than you. You guys, 1 Peter 5, 5 says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gave Saul the kingdom because he was humble. Because he was nobody. He was the least of the least. And he became mighty and powerful because the Spirit of God came upon him. But all of a sudden, in a tough time, when it was time to worship and wait on God, he got too busy, too afraid. He looked at his surroundings and said, I have to do something. And he aborted the process that God had told you that the story of Saul wasn't very fun and exciting, right? But it's a great reminder for me. It's a great reminder for all of us. We are all susceptible to be just like Saul. We think we're somebody. We keep getting advanced in our company. We keep doing these things that are successful and we think, look what I've done. We start acting like King Nebuchadnezzar. 
We start looking around us and look at the house I have and look at the cars I have, look at the family I have, look at the business I have, look at the bank account I have, look at all that I've done. And we turn aside from what God has given us and what he's blessed us and what he's provided for us, what he's done for us and why he's done it for us. How easy it is to fall into thinking that we're more than we actually are. Pride. Pride is like busyness. It has creep. It just creeps into our life. It just creeps in. It's not loud. It's quiet. And it comes in and it destroys a little at a time until all of a sudden we don't need God. We have everything that we need right in our hands, the things that we've done. I want to end with giving you two signs of an arrogant or prideful heart. Unfortunately, these are too close to home for me. The first one is too busy to worship God. It was a simple task that Samuel gave to Saul. I need you to go and wait at Gilgal for seven days and I will come and we'll do the sacrifices and we'll worship and we'll seek the Lord. I've done this so many times in my life, I can't even count. I look at my schedule before I go to bed. It's the thing that's on my mind and my, going through my mind. I wake up in the morning, I think about it. I'm a, I'm a doer. I like to do things. I like to check things off. I have an app on my phone that is a to-do list that actually has boxes that I can touch and checks them off and puts a line right through it. And I don't know about you, but I love that. <laughs> done. I have actually done things during the day that aren't on my list that I put on my list later and hit check. <laughs> I'm not kidding. We like to stay busy. We like to do the plan, the thing that we have. We schedule it out. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to get all this done. There's only so many hours in a day, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to get it done. I've got to check it off my list. I can do it. I don't need help. And all of a sudden, pride comes in. Because did you notice how many times I just said, I... I have to check it off. I got to get it done. I've told this before when I was on my sabbatical in 2015. God made it, I went down to Kansas City and God made it very clear. I want you to be with me. Be more, not do more. And I knew God was asking me to let go of some things. Stop doing some of the things. You're just being busy. And it's, it, was, it was so true. Because I wasn't worshiping. Not like I should be. Yeah, I was praying, I was reading my Bible, but I wasn't worshiping God. I wasn't doing the time, spending the time. I was too busy. We need to discipline ourselves to spend time with the Lord. All, All Saul had to do was wait. And he didn't have to even wait that long. By the time he finished the sacrifice... Samuel was there. If he'd have just waited, his kingdom would have been established forever. But he didn't. He was too busy to worship. 
You guys, we have to discipline ourselves. One of the other things that I wrote in my journal was, I'm not going to say I'm busy. People say, hey, how are you doing? I'm not going to say I'm busy. I've reverted to saying I'm full. Full is a choice. I don't let my calendar control me. I can't. None of us can. We can't allow our days to control us because if they control us, it becomes about us. I'm full. When you go up to the dinner table, you go to a restaurant, you decide how much you're going to eat. If you leave, you leave the restaurant or you leave your dinner table and you have to unbutton your belt and unbutton your snap and sit on the couch and rub your stomach and go, oh, I ate too much, but it was so good. That's on you. You ate too much. You can't blame anyone else. Can't blame the cook. Nobody shoved it down your You ate too much. But if you go and you just eat and you're like, ah, man, that was good. I feel really, I feel really good. I feel content. That's you. That's discipline. Right? That's what God's requiring of us. Just discipline. We all have the same amount of time in every day. Don't be too full. Don't fill your schedule so full that you can't worship God. Because the only thing that's going to happen is pride is going to set in. Pride's going to take over. And you'll be too busy to worship. And you'll become too big for anything else. Saul's crown got too small too quickly. Because his head got too big. You know, if you go to the gym, and you start working out, and you have a good workout, when you walk out of the gym, you stand a little bit taller, your shoulders are back a little further, your chest is, about, is out. That's what happened to Saul. He had a battle or two, and he won, and he got a little taller, and he got a little broader, and he got a little puffier, and all of a sudden, his crown didn't fit anymore, and I have to do this. I have to finish. Our society does this to us. Stay busy. But we need to seek the Lord and start our day by inquiring of him. Max Lucado says, everything about worship is a sign of humility. Raising your hands and bowing your head and bending your knees. It's humility. Worship is humility. When you spend time with God and you spend time in worship and you spend time in the word and you're bowing your head before God and you're lifting your hands before God and you're kneeling before him, you're humbling yourself before him and when you do that, pride can't set in. It can because you're worshiping. You're humbling yourself before God. You're saying, my schedule, my day, my plan is in your hands. Give it to God. Give it to God. You know, one thing I don't do anymore, I don't schedule meetings back to back to back. So I think the best way to get that meeting, things done was to just meeting, 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 meeting. I don't do it anymore. I put in a half hour to an hour in between because I, one, need it, and two, I can inquire of the Lord. All right, God, I don't know what's next. I don't know what's coming, but you do. And just spend time. All right, I need, I need wisdom. I need favor. I need you. Humbling ourselves before God. Don't be too busy to worship. And don't be too big to obey. Obedience. The first sign of Saul's failure was a disregard to God's direction. In John 14, 15, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In John 15, 14, it says, If you're my friend, you'll do what I say. In Romans 12, 3, 
Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't get too big. Because God can snatch it from you in a second. He can take it all back. It's all his. It always has been. He's always been in control and he always will be. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Saul couldn't be trusted to be used by God. Excuse me. Because he disregarded God's commands and disobeyed. He became too big to follow the directions that was given him. Don't misuse the power or the platform that God gives you. He's given it to you for a reason. And that's to glorify him. You'll hear Pastor Tom and all the pastors here for your glory and your praise. Because we have to stay in a position of humility because this isn't about man. This is about God. This is about his kingdom. This is about leading others to Christ. He's chosen to use us. He chose Saul and he chose to use him. But Saul disregarded the call. You've all been called, all of us have, to go and make disciples. We can choose to obey or disobey. But if you board the process, so will God. God chose Saul because he was humble. But that humility was quickly replaced by pride. Invite God into your everyday process. It's not about how you begin the race that matters. It's how you finish. It's about finishing. It's essential that you finish. It's important that you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the finish line. And have the worship team come up. Paul, in his last days, said, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He didn't say, I won the fight or I came in first in the race. He said, I fought the fight. We can look at the fight today as pride. We have to fight against it all the time because it'll creep in and it'll overcome. We have to finish the race that's set before us, keeping the faith. Finishing is essential. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to ask you this morning, who's king of your heart today? Who's the king of your heart? Is Jesus sitting in his rightful throne? Is God at the top? Or have you placed something else there? Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's something that you have. Maybe it's someone else. And if, you, if that's you this morning and you know for a fact that God is not in his rightful place, can I urge you this morning to step down or have that thing or that person be removed from that position and put God in his place in your life? 
If you're here this morning and this is the first time you've heard a message like this and you, you have felt the urge of God knocking at your heart, you have never invited Jesus into your life, you have never made him king in your life, you've been the king. But this morning, you've just felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You know he's not king. And you've never invited him to be king. If that's you this morning and you'd like to invite Jesus into your life, you just say, yeah, I, I want to step down and I want Jesus number one in my life. If you're here this morning, you want to invite him in, would you slip up your hand? Would you just raise your hand? We want to just acknowledge this between you and God that he's king. I'm going to ask that you just put that hand over your heart. Would you just say this with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I ask you to forgive me. And I invite you in to be Lord of my heart. To be Lord of my life. I ask you to teach me from your word and help me to live out my life with you on the throne. Teach me how to walk in humility. Teach me how to seek you first. Help me to love you the rest of my life. Amen. Would you stand with me? If you're like me, you know You know when we've stepped into a position that we have no right stepping into. We know when we've allowed pride to get in. You know the areas in your life where there's pride. And this morning, you just want to be free of it. You just say, you know what? I, I know I need to put the Lord first. If that's you, just put out your hands. Let's pray together. God, you see our hearts more than you see our hands. Lord, you know. You know what needs to be removed. And we ask that you remove it this morning. That you forgive us for allowing things to take the place of you. And we ask, Lord, that you would step into your position in our life. Would you lead us? Would you remind us when we're getting too full? Would you help us to step back and eliminate things that are keeping us from spending time with you? We love you, Jesus. More importantly, we say thank you for loving us. We give you the glory and the praise. You are worthy. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Have a great rest of your weekend. And if you would like prayer for anything, the ministry teams are going to be up front. Love to have you stay and worship with us.